الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respect to listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As mentioned, inshallah, today I'll share a few thoughts on the topic of Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's love for his companions. We all know the obligation of loving the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. A Muslim's faith remains imperfect and incomplete until he or she loves the Messenger of Allah وسلم, more than anyone or anything else. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others relate from Anas ibn Malik that the Prophet وسلم, said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين. One of you does not believe until I become more beloved to him than his parents and his children and all of mankind. And there are many ahadith to this end, all of which speak about the obligation of living the Prophet more than one's own soul. And as Allah says in Surah Al-Ahzab, that the Prophet is closer and more deserving to the believers than even their own souls. Now the question is, the companions عنهم, being the best of all Muslims, they showed that love and proved it more than anyone else can. But what was the Prophet وسلم's own feelings towards them? Was he someone who received that love without repaying it, without reciprocating it? Or did the Prophet ﷺ reciprocate that love and affection? Well, undoubtedly he did. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala endowed the Prophet ﷺ with the most sublime qualities. Allah says of him, Noon wal qalami wa ma yasturun مَا أَنْتَ بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ بِمَجْنُونَ وَإِنَّ لَكَ لَأَجْرًا غَيْرَ مَمْنُونَ وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ That 
Nun. By the pen and by that which they write. By the blessing of your Lord, by the bounty of your Lord, you are not mad. This was a reassurance to the Prophet in the wake of the taunts of the pagans who in the tradition of the opponents of all of the prophets of Allah accused the Prophet of being a madman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just reassured him and reminded him that he has an unending, unrestricted reward from Allah. And then Allah tells him, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And verily, you are of a sublime character. You are of great, you are one of great manners. You are one of a great and sublime character. That's how the Prophet ﷺ was. Rasulullah was respectful, loving, caring, affectionate, merciful. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ As Allah says in Surah Al-Anbiya, that we have not sent you but as a mercy for all the worlds. So the Prophet ﷺ was one of sublime character, of beautiful morals, of beautiful conduct. He was a mercy for all the worlds. Given this and many other qualities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed on him and endowed him with, it's inconceivable that the Prophet would have received the love of the companions without reciprocating that love. Indeed, the Prophet showed great love and affection to all of the Sahaba, عنهم, the young, the old, his own family members, non family the people of his own clan and tribe, as well as others who did not belong to his tribe. To all Muslims, Rasulullah showed immense love and affection. And hopefully that's the topic on which I'll share a few thoughts today, specifically about his love for the Sahaba, for the companions. In fact, Given the way that the Arabs were at that time, only the Messenger of Allah could have molded them and transformed them and make them as he made them and as they turned out to be. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ فَاعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُتَوَكِّلِينَ Allah says, It was only through a mercy from Allah that you relented to them, that you were soft and lenient towards them. And had you been fadh, harsh of tongue, coarse of tongue, غليظ al-qalb, hard of heart, then what would have happened? 
these companions who surround you, they would have quickly dispersed from around you. That was because of the nature of the Arabs at the time. They were considered to be an ungovernable people. The, the Arabian Peninsula, it was a huge land mass. And at that time, to the west, you had the Abyssinian Empire. And north of that, you had the Egyptian lands that were under the control of the Byzantine Roman Empire. So to the west, you had the Abyssinian Empire, which was not as famous or as powerful as the other two main powers at the time, the Byzantine Roman Empire and the Sassanid Persian Empire. Now, these empires, all three of them actually, were always jostling with each other to control the Arabian Peninsula, because it was right in their midst. This was the one area of land which was in the centre of these three great empires. And yet, remarkably, none of the three actually controlled the Arabian Peninsula. The Persians controlled a narrow, controlled very narrow strips of the coastline of the east of the Arabian Peninsula, east and south. The Abyssinians for a short while controlled some parts or pockets of the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. And the Byzantine Romans made no headway, nor the uh, Sassanid Persians, into the actual central part of Arabia. And both the Persians and the Byzantine Romans, despite being two huge military and economic superpowers of the time, they, all they did is employ other Arabs to act as a buffer zone between them and the main Arabs in the Arabian Peninsula. Because they considered the Arabs to be tribal, wild, ungovernable. And this is the reason why the Arabs actually had no king amongst themselves because they were so fiercely independent that they would refuse to submit to a monarch. Rather, they regarded themselves as their leaders were considered first amongst the equals, rather than kings and monarchs and emperors, because of their fiercely independent nature. So by their nature, by their custom, their way of life, the Arabs were regarded as being wild and, un and ungovernable. And yet, when the Prophet ﷺ came, he managed to mould them, shape them. And he had such a profound influence on them that as Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi in the sixth year of Hijrah, when he went on behalf of the Quraysh, who was a non-Muslim at the time, as an ambassador to the Prophet ﷺ's camp at Hudaybiyah, just outside Mecca, and he closely watched and observed the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then he came back and reported his conversation as well as his observations. And he said, oh, oh my people, leave Muhammad alone. And one of the things he mentioned was that when Muhammad speaks, they all fall silent. When he spits, they catch his saliva and anoint themselves, their faces and their bodies, with his saliva. When he performs the ablution, they jostle with each other to catch the water 
dripping from his limbs. When he issues a command, they all rush and try to compete and outdo each other to fulfill his command. And then he said, I have tra-, he, was a, he was a diplomat. He said, I have traveled to the royal courts of Persia, Rome, and Abyssinia, and I have visited emperors and kings, but never in my life have I seen any subject or any group of people revering their great leader or their king and emperor as much as I have seen the companions of Muhammad revere Muhammad. What a transformation. A people who were so fiercely independent that they would refuse to be ruled by anyone. And the three most powerful empires of the region, and indeed two in the entire world at the time, were unable to control the Arabs. And the Prophet ﷺ, through the sheer force of his personality, his sublime character, his affection, his mercy, as Allah says, his softness and his leniency, he was able to transform these people to such a degree that they bowed before him, not in a worshipful manner, but in submission and civility. And they would actually rush to catch his saliva to anoint their faces and bodies. As Allah says, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ It was only through a mercy from Allah that you were lenient and soft towards them. And he, thus he was able to reconcile their warring, differing hearts. He was able to bring about harmony between them and bring about peace and love between them. In fact, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ أَلَّفَ بَيْنَهُمْ That if you were to spend all the wealth of the world, <coughs> these are the clear words, if you were to spend all that is on earth, مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَهُمْ You would still not be able to bring about harmony between them. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ أَلَّفَ بَيْنَهُمْ But Allah indeed did bring about harmony between them. And how did Allah bring about that harmony? Through the person and the personality of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa We believe money can buy everything. It can't. We know money cannot buy love. We know money cannot buy true respect of the heart. Not hypocritical, false, feigned, external respect, but the true submission and love and respect of the heart, money cannot buy that. And as Allah testifies, all the wealth of the world combined would not have been able to bring about peace and harmony between these warring factions of the Medin population. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and through his love, affection, leniency, softness, compassion and mercy, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought about, brought about loving and lasting peace and harmony between these warring tribes of Arabia. 
So فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ It was only through a mercy from Allah that you were soft and lenient towards. And had you been harsh of tongue and hard of heart, they would have dispersed from around you. And indeed Rasulullah was softly spoken. He wasn't coarse of tongue. And in another verse, Allah says of the Prophet وسلم, in Surah Al-A'raf, That these companions, they follow. That unlettered messenger prophet, whose mention they do find recorded in the Tawrah and the Injil, in the true gospel of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, and in the true Tawrah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions some more characteristics and qualities of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, some of them, through their contacts and in their travels, and also in their own study, they, some of them had studied the earlier scriptures, and they testify that indeed we have discovered, and we have seen, that mention of the Prophet ﷺ in the earlier books of the Torah and in the Injil, which Allah refers to in this verse. That Allah has described the Prophet ﷺ. So what was that description? A number of Sahaba radiallahu anhum relate, and one of them is a hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari, in which it's mentioned that one of the descriptions of the Prophet ﷺ to be found in the earlier books was... لَيْسَ بِفَضٍ وَلَا غَلِيظٍ وَلَا صَخَابٍ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ وَلَا يَدْفَعُ السَّيِّئَةَ بِالسَّيِّئَةِ وَلَكِنْ يَعْفُ وَيَسْفَحْ وَيَغْفِرْ This was the description of the Prophet ﷺ in the earlier scriptures, just part of the description, that he, the messenger of Allah, who is destined to come, he is لَيْسَ بِفَضٍ Exactly what Allah mentions in the other verse. He is not harsh of tongue. Nor is he hard of heart. And nor is he one to shout and raise his voice in the marketplace. Why specifically in the marketplace? In the marketplace where people are trying to shout over and above each other to attract their customers. Even in a marketplace which is full of din, noise and clamour, Rasulullah character was such that he acted with the utmost nobility, composure and silence, even in the hustle bustle of a marketplace. And then the description continues, he does not requite evil with evil. So if someone meets him with evil, he doesn't respond in an evil way. He does not requite and repay evil with evil, bad with bad. Rather, he overlooks excuses and forgives. And that's exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him here, that had you been hard, harsh of tongue and hard of heart, they would have dispersed from around you. 
So already the Prophet ﷺ was forgiving, loving, caring, affectionate, merciful towards them, but Allah tells him to continue and says, anhum, Therefore excuse them. And seek forgiveness on their behalf. And consult them in the affair. This is how the Prophet ﷺ treated the Sahaba anhum. With compassion, mercy, softness, leniency, forgiveness, tolerance, and being softly spoken, soft of heart, being of the most sublime character. Given all of these and other qualities that have been referred to in these verses, it's inconceivable that such a person would not requite love with love. And would not repay the love of the Sahaba عنهم, with his own love and affection towards them. And indeed he did. Even those who weren't his people. He was one of the Quraysh. He was one of the people of Mecca. But when he travelled to Medina, the indigenous population of Medina, the people of Aus and Khazraj, they were not from the Quraysh, they weren't his tribe, and in fact, traditionally, the Aus and Khazraj of Medina were rivals of the Quraysh in Mecca. These two were almost two city-states that were rivals of each other. And some of that, the Prophet ﷺ also feared that some of that rivalry would linger. But what was his own attitude towards the Ansar Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, who were not of his people, they were not members of his tribe. Traditionally, they were the rivals of his own tribe. And yet, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim both relates from Anas bin Malik radiyallahu that he says once the Prophet sallallahu saw some children and women of the Ansar, Returning from a marriage. So when he saw them, the Prophet ﷺ looked at them and he said, Allahumma, oh Allah, indeed. And then addressing the Ansar, he said, you are the most beloved of people to me. You are the most beloved of people to me. Oh Allah, you are the most beloved of people to me. Thrice he said this, addressing the Ansar, Ansar, women and children. And he instructed everyone to love the Ansar just as he loved them. So even those who were not of his people, this was the love and affection that he showed them. Otherwise, every single Sahabi, Prophet showed toleration, forgiveness, mercy towards them, and love. And if he hadn't shown that love, they wouldn't have loved him in return. Even Abu Bakr as-Siddiq his father-in-law, his best friend, his companion from the very earliest days of Islam and before, his companion in the Hijrah. Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al-Khudri relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari, Muslim and others, that the Prophet ascended the member and gave a khutbah in his final days. They didn't know. But 
In that sermon, one of the things he mentioned was, indeed, Allah has given a choice to a servant between that which is in the world and that which is with Allah. So the servant chose that which is with Allah. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu an began weeping. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu an himself says, he said, what is it that causes this elderly man, this elder of ours to weep? It's simple. Allah gave a choice to a servant between the world and that which is with Allah. So the servant chose that which is with Allah. And none of the other Sahaba radiyallahu anhum at the time understood. But Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu says, however, that servant was none other than the messenger of Allah. That Allah had given a choice. And Abu Bakr radiyallahu an was the most learned and understanding one amongst us. Then, in another narration, it's mentioned that Abu Bakr radiyallahu an, whilst weeping, he said, Nay, O Messenger of Allah, but we ransom our fathers and our mothers and our children for your sake. And then the Prophet reassured him and said to him, O Abu Bakr, do not weep. Then he announced to everyone, Indeed, the kindest and most generous to me, in his company and in his wealth, of all people, is Abu Bakr. And if I was to take anyone as a best friend, then I would surely take Abu Bakr as my best friend. But rather, let it be the love and the brotherhood of Islam, let it be the love and the brotherhood of Islam between us. For indeed, you... Your messenger's be- or your companion's best friend is Allah. Even the Prophet wasallam, even with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu an, despite their whole history, Prophet wasallam said, my best friend is Allah. And if it wasn't for that, then of the world, my best friend would be Abu Bakr. But no. The best friend of your companion is not even Abu Bakr, even though he has been the kindest and the most generous in his company and in his wealth to me. For my best friend is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the best friend of your companion is Allah. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam had immense love and affection for Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu he did so for the other Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Even Umar radiyallahu anhu, Imam Bukhari relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was with Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu whilst he was holding his hand. And indeed that was out of affection. Feeling that love, Umar radiyallahu anhu said to him, O Messenger of Allah, indeed you are the most beloved of all people to me after my own soul. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said No O Umar until I do not become more beloved to you than even your own soul So Umar radiyallahu anhu said O messenger of Allah indeed you are more beloved to me than my own soul Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said Now O Umar now 
Now, I'd like to explain something about this hadith, which is that we may question that how did Umar so rapidly progress from saying, you are the most beloved to me of all people apart from myself? And then in the same conversation, a few moments later, he says, O Messenger of Allah, indeed you are the most beloved to me, even more than myself. Why? How could that be? How did he make a sudden leap from one to the other? It's a very simple explanation. The first statement of Umar was based on a common understanding, which is that everyone ultimately loves themselves. Self-preservation, one's instinct for self-preservation and survival, and therefore it's commonly believed that no one can truly love anyone else more than they can love oneself. So Umar stated that, that, O Messenger of Allah, I love you more than anyone. But of course, everyone believes that no one can love anyone else more than they can love oneself. So when the Prophet ﷺ reminded him, O Umar, no, until I am more beloved to you than even your own soul, Umar reflected on the words of the Prophet ﷺ. And he searched his soul. And he contemplated this, that yes, people believe that one cannot love anyone else more than one can love oneself. That's normal. However, indeed, the feelings I have for Rasulullah the sacrifices I am willing to make for the Prophet if I really think about it, then indeed, this common belief that one cannot love anyone else more than they love oneself, this is not true about me. For indeed, I do love the Messenger of Allah more than I love myself. And that's why, after having thought about it, his earlier statement, his heart didn't change in that conversation. No. His heart did not change. His feelings for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, did not change in that conversation. Rather, they were as they were before. All that happened is that his first statement was based on common understanding. And his second statement was based on reflection of his true state within. And that's why he was able to say to the Prophet وسلم, Well, indeed, O Messenger of Allah, I do love you more than I love myself. And that's true, as we've learned before. When the Prophet وسلم's uncle, Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, was in Medina, and he had not yet embraced Islam, Umar held him by the hand and took him and said, O oh, Abbas, why don't you embrace Islam? And he was encouraging him to embrace Islam. And as part of his encouragement, he said to him, that you embrace Islam, 
is more dear to me and more beloved to me than my own father Al-Khattab embracing Islam. Why? Because of the joy that I know that the Prophet ﷺ would feel at your embracing Islam. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, just as, such as Umar radiyallahu anhu and even Abu Bakr radiyallahu they gave preference to the joy and the happiness of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ over their own joy. That's how much they loved him. And the Prophet ﷺ loved them in return. And indeed, uh, this whole conversation started because Imam Bukhari relates that Umar was with the Prophet ﷺ and he was holding his hand. And it was because of that show of love and affection that Umar was prompted to say, O Messenger of Allah, I love you more than anyone apart from myself. Rasulullah Loved the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. He treated them with the utmost love, affection, and even courtesy. Allah subhanahu when he was in Makkatul Mukarramah, he had all kinds of people surrounding him. And the Quraysh, they would actually taunt the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because of his companions. And it's narrated by many authors that they even went to his uncle Abu Talib. This was in the early days of Mecca. And they said to him, Oh Abu Talib, we, the chieftains and the leaders and the nobility of the Quraysh, we would be willing to sit with your nephew Muhammad and listen to him and converse with him at length. However, he surrounds himself with this riffraff and we cannot be seen to be seated in the same gathering. And who were the riffraff that they were referring to? Bilal ibn Rabah. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says that he refers to six people in particular. That these six were mentioned. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud himself. Bilal ibn Rabah. Khabbab ibn al-Arad, Ammar ibn Yasir, Suhayb al-Rumi. And we learn from another narration of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas and from Sahih Muslim that he considered himself to be one of them. So this was just one small group, Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Ammar ibn Yasir, Suhayb al-Rumi, Bilal ibn Rabah, Khabbab ibn al-Arad, radiyallahu anhum, poor Sahaba radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was a shepherd. And Bilal and Suhaib and Khabbab, they were known to be of the uh, impoverished and the weakened Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. So the Quraysh said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's uncle, and they even went and told him too, that, oh Muhammad, we would sit with you as long as you don't surround yourself with this riffraff. If you give us an agreement that you will give us a special time and date, and a special audience, then we will sit with you and converse with you as long as you remove these people. Remove them, distance them. So Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu anhu says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse of the Qur'an, وَلَا تَطْرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَةِ مَا عَلَيْكَ مِنْ حِسَابِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ وَمَا مِنْ حِسَابِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ 
فتطردهم فتكون من الظالمين that O Messenger of Allah do not drive away do not dispel do not repel those who call out to their Lord in the morning and in the evening seeking his countenance their account is not your responsibility and your account is not their responsibility for if you do repel them and drive them away then O Messenger of Allah, even you would be of the wrongdoers and the unjust ones. That's how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved these poor, impoverished, weakened, considered lowly sahaba radiyallahu anhu. So much so that in the seventh year of Hijrah, during the truce after Hudaybiyah, when some of the allies of the Quraysh had attacked the allies of the Muslims. And Abu Sufyan, being the leader of the Quraysh in Mecca, he feared that because of this violation of the treaty between them, maybe the Prophet ﷺ would renounce the treaty and he would be entitled to. So he traveled from Mecca to Medina in order to ratify the treaty with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So when he was in, when he arrived in Medina, he was making his way to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he passed by the same Sahaba radiallahu anhum, Khabbab, Bilal, Suhaib, they were seated, a whole group of them. So when they saw Abu Sufyan pass by, they rather sharply said, not talking to him directly, but at him, but loudly. One of them said, it seems as though the swords of Allah have not yet reached the enemies of Allah. Referring to Abu Sufyan. So he was hurt. But remember, he was their enemy. So he was extremely hurt by what they said and offended. Because he was in a weakened position by that time. He had come to Medina to plead with the Prophet ﷺ. And he was no longer of that standing and power that he and the Quraysh had a few years ago. So Abu Bakr heard them. So Abu Bakr radiallahu he rushed forward and he addressed them and he scolded them. And the reason for correcting them and disciplining them is that Abu Bakr radiallahu felt that Abu Sufyan had come on a diplomatic mission. And therefore, he should be extended that diplomatic courtesy between two peoples who had signed a truce and a peace treaty. And that since he was a leader of the Quraysh, he was a man of influence and position and standing, and he should not be spoken to like that. But Ammar and Bilal and Suhaib radiyallahu anhum and the others, they had their own reasons because they felt extremely grieved at the torture that they had suffered at the hands of the Quraysh. So when Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhum scolded them and he actually said to them, 
Do you say this to the leader and the great one of the Quraysh? So these Sahaba radiallahu anhum fell silent. And then they went to the Prophet وسلم, and informed him of their conversation with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. What did the Prophet وسلم, say? Prophet وسلم, when he saw Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said, Oh Abu Bakr, did you say this to them? He said, yes. He said, do not say this to them. So he said, do not anger them, O oh Abu Bakr. For if you anger them, then you will anger Allah. Why? Because these poor, impoverished Sahaba عنهم, were considered lowly and weak and despicable and worthless by even the Quraysh and by others. Yet they were noble and honored in the sight of Allah. Allah even warned the Prophet وسلم, regarding them that do not drive away those who call out to their Lord morning and evening. For if you do, you will surely be yourself of the wrongdoers. And in another verse, وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَذَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَ وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ تُرِيدُ زِينَةِ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنَ غْفَلْنَا قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا وَاتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ وَكَانَ أَمْرُهُ فُرُطًا He told the Prophet وسلم, Keep yourself patient with those who call out to their Lord morning and evening. Seeking his countenance. Again, the same Sahaba radiallahu anhum. وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُمْ And do not let your gaze go beyond them. I.e., do not look beyond these poor, impoverished, weakened Sahaba. Because if you do, then you would be seeking the glitter and the beauty of the worldly life. And do not follow those or one whose hearts I have rendered ignorant and heedless from our remembrance, and who has followed his desire, and whose affair is one of excess and transgression. So the Prophet ﷺ was reminded by Allah repeatedly that sit yourself down with those who are poor, impoverished, but who are sincere, who call out to their Lord morning and evening. Associate with the poor and the meek. Do not associate with the rich. That was a message to the Prophet ﷺ. And in fact, in one narration, when the second verse was revealed, it said that the Prophet ﷺ, Imam Tabarani relates, the Prophet ﷺ actually stood up from his house and went out looking for the poor Sahaba. When he found them, he sat down with them and he said, Alhamdulillah. All praise be to that Allah who has created in my ummah such people that he has even commanded me to patiently sit down with them. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed such honor to these sahaba radiallahu anhum, then imagine after these instructions how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa treated them. Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu actually relates that we would sit so close to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa far from driving them away, he says we would sit so close that our knees would be over his knees. Our knees would be over his knees. That's how Rasulullah alayhi salatu wa 
he treated, and that's the love he showed. In fact, on a number of occasions, when the Prophet ﷺ saw the Sahaba, عنهم, he actually wept. He wept out of concern, love, and affection for them, and out of pity for them, both in Mecca as well as in Medina. Rasulullah's love for the Sahaba عنهم, was immense. And he declared that love on numerous occasions, whether it was the Muhajirun, or whether it was the Ansar Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, whether it was Abu Bakr or Umar radiyallahu anhum, whether it was even the young children. And the, maybe we, if we just look at the young, you see, it's easy to feign love for those who are powerful and intimidating. But it's not easy to feign love and affection for those who are Weak and powerless, such as children. Yet Rasulullah treatment of children should give us an insight of how he must have treated the adults. Zayd ibn Haritha He was captured as a young child and sold into slavery. They were wild times. Eventually, he found his way to the household of Rasulullah in Mecca. And Zayd ibn Haritha was given to the Prophet as a slave. But he freed him. And he was a young child at the time. Zayd's father and his uncle would scout and travel the whole of Arabia. They even went into the Roman lands to look for Zayd radiallahu And in their travels, they learnt through some that there is a young lad of that same description who found his way to Mecca, or he was taken to Mecca. So eventually they came to Mecca. Through inquiries, they learnt that he was with a young merchant called Muhammad ibn Abdullah. So eventually they found their way to the Prophet Imagine the scene. Father and brother, the father and uncle of Zayd, they visited the Prophet and they described Zayd and they said, I am his father, this is my brother, his uncle. We wish to reclaim our son. And to free him from you, we are willing to pay you any price as, as his ransom. Name your price and we will pay it as long as we can claim our child, our son. Prophet ﷺ, this was long before the revelation of the Qur'an. Prophet ﷺ said to them, I will make you a fair offer. We shall call Zayd and we shall ask him and we will agree that we will honour his wish. If, if he wishes to go with you, then I want nothing. I want no payment and no money. I will honour his wish. He can leave with you. But if he wishes to remain with me, then you will also honor his wish. They agreed. 
For who could imagine that a father and an uncle who had scouted and travelled the whole of the Arabian lands to search for their long-lost son, that he would not go back and return with his father and uncle. Zayd radiyallahu anhu was summoned. And he was introduced. He actually recognized his father and his uncle. After their hugging and embracing and their meeting, they were told about the pre- previous conversation. Then the Prophet sallallahu told him, Zayd, it is your choice. You are free to go with your father and uncle if you so wish. You are free to remain here if you wish. Make your choice. Zayd radiyallahu actually said to his father and uncle that I will not place anyone's company over the company of Muhammad ibn Abdullah. And he actually chose to remain with the Prophet So the Prophet told the father and uncle that this day I announce that I take Zayd as my son and I adopt him as my son and he will be known and he was known thereafter as Zayd ibn Muhammad, the son, Zayd the son of Muhammad. Prophet ﷺ took him as, as his adopted son even though he was a slave previously. He was freed, he was considered a freed slave and we may not be able to identify with this but in Arabia at the time Similar to the other civilizations of the time, a slave or a freed slave had no such standing. And they were incomparable with free men, free women. Yet the Prophet ﷺ adopted him as a son. And Zayd ibn Muhammad, as he was known, had that honor of being called Zayd, the son of Muhammad, because the Prophet ﷺ had no other sons. All the way until the fifth year of Hijrah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse of the Quran in which Allah says, that call them by their fathers. This is more just with Allah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared that adoption, absolute adoption, is not valid. For adoption does not change the fact that the biological parents remain the biological parents. And the adopting parents are not the natural biological parents. And therefore, many of the laws will not fall into place that exist between biological natural parents and children, between adopting and adoptive and uh, adopted children and parents. So... When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse and he said, call them by their fathers, Zayd radiallahu an was no longer called Zayd ibn Muhammad, even though he enjoyed that privilege till then. From that day onwards, he was known as Zayd ibn Haritha by his father's name, Zayd the son of Haritha. And the ulama mentioned that since that honor was removed from him, it must have been very saddening for him that till today I was called Zayd the son of Muhammad. Now I am called Zayd the son of Haritha. But Allah, the ulama say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compensated for that loss with the one unique privilege and honor which no one else has, which is he is the only companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to be mentioned in the Qur'an by name. Allah says, When Zayd 
referring to his marriage with Zainab bint Jahsh radiyallahu anha when Zayd ended his marriage. So Zayd is the only one mentioned by name in the Holy Quran. So the Prophet sallallahu love for Zayd ibn Haritha and even though he was a freed slave, was indeed just like a son. He loved him and honored him just like his own son, even though he was not family, he was not a member of his own tribe. He was a freed slave. And the Prophet showed just as much love for Zayd radiallahu an son Usama. Now imagine, Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu an was Zayd ibn, uh, Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu an was a freed slave. And when he married Zainab bint Jahsh radiallahu anha, unfortunately the marriage didn't work out. And one of the problems, just one of the issues between them in that marriage was that he was regarded as a mola, a freed slave, and Zainab bint Jahsh radiallahu anha was a woman of high noble birth and the cousin sister of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and one of the nobility of the Quraysh. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam treated Zayd radiallahu an, even though he's a freed slave, with unbelievable love and affection. Zayd radiallahu an actually married another freed slave, an Abyssinian lady, Umm Ayman radiallahu anha. And Umm Ayman radiallahu anha gave birth to Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu anha. So freed slave Zayd married freed slave Umm Ayman, an Abyssinian lady. And their child was Usama, the son of Zayd. Usama radiallahu anha he was the child of two freed slaves and he had apparently no standing in that society in that period and yet how did the Prophet treat him? Allahu Akbar unbelievable love and affection unbelievable love Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad that once Usama ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu, he was a child. He came running into the house and he tripped over the doorstep. Well, the hadith just says he tripped over the doorstep. So when he tripped, for shujja fi wajhi, there was a gash. He suffered and sustained a gash on his face. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was sitting at a distance or he was at a distance. So he said to Aisha radiallahu anha, quickly, quickly see to him, attend to him. So Aisha radiallahu anha says that, meaning I considered it a bit unclean since the blood was flowing and he suffered a gash. So she said, I hesitated and I considered it unclean and I held back. What did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do? He rushed forward took Usama radiyallahu an, and he began sucking the blood from his face as it was flowing and spitting it out, sucking the blood, spitting it out, and then showing love and affection to Usama radiyallahu an, 
he said to Aisha, if Osama was a girl, I would dress him up, I would beautify him and adorn him, and then I would circulate his qualities for marriage. On another occasion, Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he saw snot and mucus coming out of the nose of Usama. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa began cleaning it. So Aisha radiyallahu anha, knowing his love for him, she said, Ya Rasulullah, leave it, let me do it. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to Aisha radiyallahu anha, O Aisha, Love him, for indeed I love him. Love him, for indeed I love him. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, says, he relates from Usama ibn Zayd, radiyallahu anhu himself, that Usama, radiyallahu anhu, says the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa would sit me on one lap, and his grandson, Hassan, on the other lap, and he would actually make a dua, Oh Allah, have mercy on both of them, just as I show mercy to both of them. Imagine him equating Hassan radiyallahu with Usama radiyallahu Even though Usama radiyallahu was the son of an Abyssinian freed slave and the son of Zayd ibn Haritha radiyallahu another freed slave. But the love of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam for a young child such as Usama radiyallahu here we are not talking about adults, but his love for Usama was unbelievable. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates from Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah that Umar radiyallahu anhumah after the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he fixed a stipend and he gave a share in the distribution of wealth to his own son Abdullah ibn Umar of 3,000 dirhams and he gave 3,000, he nominated or he designated 3,500 for Usama ibn Zayd. 500 more. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah said to his father, Oh father, why the difference? You gave me three, you gave him 3,500. Even though we are equal, there's no difference between us. In all of the expeditions of Islam, I took just as much part as he did. He never preceded me or beat me to any, in any expedition. So why the difference? Umar radiyallahu Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates his hadith. Umar radiyallahu said, Oh Abdullah, the reason was, the reason I have given him 500 more than you is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam loved him more than he loved you. Just as he loved his father more than he loved your father. Referring to himself. That was a testimony of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an, that he loved him more than he loved you, just as he loved his father more than, more than he loved your own father. Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu an, he was only 17 years of age in the final year of Rasulullah life when he actually appointed him commander over an army to leave Medina. So there were some murmurs. Some people objected and questioned, saying, how can this young lad of 17 be made 
a commander over a force that consists of senior muhajirun and ansar, including veterans. So the Prophet wasallam, when this reached him, he actually came out and he said, I have heard that there have been, room, there have been objections and questions about Usama, and that you are having a dig and you are poking criticism. You are criticizing his appointment as a commander. Just as you criticized his father's command, uh, appointment as a commander before him, and by Allah, indeed, he, meaning Usama, is of the most beloved of all people to me, just as his father was the most beloved of all people to me. It's Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim's hadith. Of his, he is of the most beloved of all people to me, just as his father was of the most beloved of all people to me. This is how Rasulullah loved Usama ibn Zayd of all people, a free, a child of two freed slaves. If that was his love for Usama as a child, as a young lad, as a teenager, in fact, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate from Umm Al-Mu'mineen Aisha anha that she says that there was a woman from the Makhzum tribe whom the Prophet was going to punish. So the Quraysh, since she was one of the Makhzum tribe, Banu Makhzum, she, the Quraysh, her clansmen and people of her tribe said, how can it be that a noble woman of the Quraysh be punished? Who will speak to the Prophet ﷺ and intercede on her behalf? And no one dared to. But Aisha anha says people actually suggested that there is only one person who has the guts, the courage, and the position to be able to speak to the Prophet And who was he? They called him Hibbu Rasulillah, the beloved of the Messenger of Allah, Usama ibn Zayd. So they actually sent him. So Usama ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhu, the son of two freed slaves, went to intercede on behalf of a noble woman of the Banu Makhzum of the Quraysh. Because everyone knew, Quraysh and non-Quraysh, Muhajirun and Ansar, people of Mecca and Medina alike, that if there was anyone who was given the title, Hibbu Rasulillah, the beloved of the Messenger of Allah, it was Usama. If that was his love for Usama, imagine his love. We're not even talking about Hassan or Hussein or Fatima anha, or even Ali and his son-in-law or the members of his own immediate family. We are talking about Usama ibn Zayd who was of that position and of that background. If that was his love for him, imagine his love for the rest of the Sahaba, anhum, the Muhajirun, the Ansar. As I said, Anas anhu says, when he saw women and children coming from a marriage of the Ansar, as Imam Bukhari relates, what did Prophet say? He actually exclaimed, Oh Allah, addressing the Ansari women and children, you are indeed of the most beloved of people to me. You are indeed of the most beloved of people to me. And he instructed people to love the Ansar, radiyallahu anhum, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim. And this is a lesson for us too. The Ansar Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, sadly many of us 
don't really know. Uh, of course, the, it's all there, but we, how many of us know which of the Sahaba عنهم, belong to the Muhajirun, which of them belong to the Ansar? But the Ansar Sahaba, عنهم, it's a lesson for us. Those who denigrate and criticize or belittle the Sahaba, عنهم, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Rahmatullahi alayhima, both relate. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Anas al-Malik radiyallahu anhu says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Ayatul imani hubbul ansar wa ayatul nifaqi bughdul ansar. That the sign of faith and iman is the love of the ansar companions. And the sign of nifaq and hypocrisy is the dislike of the ansar companions. And again, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim both relate from Al-Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhu. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Al-Ansar la yuhibbuhum illa mu'min, wa la yubghidhuhum illa munafiq, thuman ahabbahum ahabbahullah, wa man abghidhuhum abghidhuhullah. That the Ansar, only a believer will love them, and only a hypocrite will despise them. Whoever loves them, Allah loves them, and whoever despises them, Allah despises them. So the Prophet loved the Ansar Sahaba himself, even though they were not his people. And this is why, again Imam Bukhari relates, and so do others, that towards the final days of the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet Abu Bakr and Abbas both passed a group of Ansar Sahaba who were sitting weeping. So they said, what causes you to weep? So they said, we remember our times of sitting with the Messenger of Allah. I.e. they feared that soon the Messenger of Allah will depart and we will no longer be able to enjoy his company as we used to by sitting with him. So they were sitting there weeping. So Abu Bakr and Abbas both visited the Prophet and told them of their conversation. Told him of their conversation. He came out even though he was so ill. He came out. He ascended the mimbar. He had his noble head wrapped in a dark cloth. And the reason it was dark was it was oily because of his medication since he was extremely ill and weak. Prophet ﷺ ascended the mimbar and he said, O people, the Ansar are a people who will decrease whilst others will increase in numbers because the original Ansar, they were only a select few, the people of Medina. And over time, they will become dissolved in the masses of people who will eventually embrace Islam and who will be born. So the Prophet said people will increase and the Ansar will decrease in number so much so that they will then become like salt in comparison to food. So whoever of my Ummah takes charge of affairs and assumes a position in which he is able to harm someone or benefit someone, then my testimony to him is, my instruction to him is, that let him honor the Ansar, overlook and excuse those who err amongst them, and do good to those who do good amongst them. He specifically instructed the Sahaba to look after the Ansar Sahaba who were not of him. They were not of his people. 
And one of the Ansar was Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. Again, if I can just speak as I did of Usama, let's speak of Anas radiyallahu anhu, a child, helpless, vulnerable, not a member of his own family. How did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam treat him? What love did he show him? By that we can judge his love for adults, for the adult companions. Abu Ya'la rahimahullah relates that Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu said, my, when the Prophet وسلم, arrived in Medina, my mother took me to him. I was only eight years old at the time. So she took me to him and she said, Ya Rasulullah, others have come and greeted you on your arrival with gifts. But, O Messenger of Allah, I have no gift to offer you other than my son. Here, this is my son, my special one. Take him in your care and custody and use him as your servant, as your attendant, as your messenger, as your errand boy, as your khadim. Let him wait upon you. Imagine the mother giving the child to the Prophet Anas radiallahu anhu says, as Imam Bukhari and many others relate, that I served the Prophet for 10 years. That means from the age of 8 till 18. Ten years I served him. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam, we learned from the collection of hadith, in those ten years, he never scolded him, he never struck him, never hit him. He never, in one narration, Anas radiallahu anhu says, he did not even frown at me. Allahu Akbar, in ten years, the messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam did not even frown in disapproval at Anas radiallahu. In fact, Imam Muslim says, our own children, if they ever refuse to do something, what's our reaction? If our children speak back to us, what's our reaction? Times have changed. Times are cursed. We weren't like this with our parents. Children are children. Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, relates, from Anas radiallahu that once the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent him on an errand. So Anas radiallahu said, I actually exclaimed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said to him, Wallahi la adhab. Wallahi la adhab. He said, by Allah, I won't go. Anas radiallahu said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it's a hadith of Muslim, Wallahi la adhab. By Allah, I won't go. And his mother had said, this is your khadim, this is your attendant. How would we treat an adult attendant or servant or someone who's waiting on us? So the Prophet said to Anas, go somewhere on an errand. He actually said to him, wallahi la adhab, by Allah I won't go. But then Anas says, but in my heart, I made the intention that I'll go. So I went. And as I was going, I passed by a group of children. So he must have got delayed who were playing in the street. So he must have got delayed. So that he said, all of a sudden, I felt the Prophet wasallam's hand on my nape, on my neck. I turned around and I looked at him. The Prophet wasallam was smiling. And he said, oh, Anas, have you not gone to fulfill that errand? So he said, Ya Rasulullah, I am going. Allahu Akbar. Ten years he did not frown at me in disapproval. He did not scold me. He did not rebuke me. He did not strike me. 
If that's how the Prophet ﷺ treated Anas ibn Malik a child who had been given to him as a khadim, as an attendant, that's how he treated Usama ibn Zayd a child born of two freed slaves. Imagine how he treated adults and others with love and with affection. There are countless stories of the Sahaba and their relationship with the Prophet I suffice with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the love and affection and concern of Rasulullah for his Sahaba for his companions and in fact for the wider ummah, for us. And this is why he says in a hadith, and I'll end with this. Imam Tirmidhi relates this hadith and so do others. The stingy one is he. The miserly one, the tight-fisted one is he, in whose presence my name is mentioned. And he does not send benedictions, salutations, and blessings on me. Why did the Prophet ﷺ, who was the most eloquent of people, the wisest, and as we learnt at the beginning, the one who was soft of tongue, refined of speech, why did he say, that the stingy, tight-fisted, miserly, penny-pinching person is one in whose presence my name is mentioned, and he does not send salat and salam upon me. Which is, that we regard the stingy, tight-fisted, miserly person as someone who is withholding. Withhold their, someone who withholds their wealth, refuses to spend, refuses to be generous, refuses to share, is not charitable. But the Prophet ﷺ said, the bakhil, the tight-fisted, miserly, stingy one is he in whose presence my name is mentioned. Because if we look at it, considering everything that the Prophet ﷺ did for his companions and for this ummah, the love that he showed them, the care that he showed them, the affection that he showed them, the concern that he showed for us, spending his nights in dua, saving his one answerable dua, not to be used in this world as the other messengers did, but to preserve it for the akhirah, so that he may intercede on behalf of his ummah. Considering everything that the Prophet ﷺ said and did, and the love, concern and affection that he showed to his companions and his ummah, wider ummah us, imagine how ungrateful it is on a person's part that he cannot even bring himself to say sallallahu alayhi wasallam when the name of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is mentioned before him this is why he called him stingy so rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam did a lot he showed a lot of love and affection to his companions and concern for his wider ummah i pray that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand, and may, may he allow, enable us and strengthen us and grant us the tawfiq and the ability to reciprocate that love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك